Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, your creator and host. With me this week is Carol, my wife. Say hello, Carol. Hi, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I guess you're not asking me, are you? I am. Yeah. I know. I've seen you around the clock, but still, anything can happen in any minute. It's true. Yeah. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Back off. Get your own poutine. Exactly. <laughs> Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. Elena Chudakova was a beautiful, outgoing, and vibrant 23-year-old Russian woman attending interior design at Ryerson University in Toronto. In January of 1995, Elena was discovered in her apartment. She'd been brutally beaten to death and left in her bathtub, and there were a number of suspects. Oh, no. You are listening to episode 160, The Murder of Elena Chudakova. The call came into the 911 dispatch center for the Toronto area on Thursday, January 12, 1995. The distraught man on the line said his name was Gilbert Ho. He was calling for an ambulance to be brought to apartment 1502 at 50 Cambridge Avenue, a building to the northwest of Broadway Danforth in Toronto. Gilbert told the dispatcher that he was requesting medical assistance for his friend, Elena Chudakova. He feared she was dead. Gilbert said that after trying to contact Elena for three days, he asked the rental manager of the building, Mr. Vieira, to let him into her apartment. As Gilbert had helped Elena get the apartment, his name was on the lease, so Mr. Vieira agreed to let he and his friend Mark into Ms. Chudakova's apartment. It was odd. When Mr. Vieira had put the key into the lock, he realized the door was already unlocked. What's going on? Gilbert said that when they entered, they found Elena in her bathtub, not breathing. 
He said there was a lot of blood everywhere and that she had very angry bruises on her face. After the dispatcher asked if there were signs of a struggle, Gilbert told the dispatcher that there was blood all over Elena's bedroom, her bedsheets and clothes had been strewn all over the room. The dispatcher then asked if Gilbert had touched anything. Gilbert said he hadn't, and the dispatcher asked him to make sure that he didn't touch anything at all. As Gilbert Ho waited for police, the 911 operator did their job, keeping him on the phone until help arrived. An ambulance and police were on their way. During the conversation, Gilbert mentioned Elena's ex-boyfriend, Ed Garcavi. He also mentioned that about a month before another man named William Sergatis, Elena's former fiancé, had broken into her apartment and violently assaulted her. Police had been involved, a detective named Carl Williams of 54 Division in Toronto. The ambulance and police arrived about 15 minutes after the call was placed. First responders found Eleanor right where Gilbert reported she was, in the bathtub, in the bathroom, of her one-bedroom apartment. The tub was filled with water that had been colored with Elena's blood. The deceased woman's arms and legs were tied together with black nylons and there was also a ligature fashioned from black nylons around her neck, but she hadn't been strangled. The first officer on the scene spoke with Gilbert Hull and his buddy Mark separately. Gilbert explained how he had known Elena. They'd worked together at a downtown bar and had become friends. Gilbert again stated that he'd helped Elena get the apartment after a bad breakup with Edgar Cavi. When asked if he had a key, Gilbert said no and that the soup had let him in. Gilbert said the only other person who may have had a key for Elena's apartment was her ex, Ed. But as far as Gilbert was aware, Ed had already returned the key. I'm not sure why I'm so suspicious of Gilbert. Let's just carry on. All right. The homicide detectives began the grim task of carefully assessing the crime scene for clues. It was Toronto's second murder of the year, and it was not yet the middle of January. All murders are bad, but this one was ugly. It had been passionate. Someone had taken out a lot of anger on Elena Chudakova. From Bruce McDonald's book, The Russian Princess Case, quote, The sheets on the bed were torn off and covered with blood. There were clothes strewn all about the room. The top half of the mattress was covered in blood. The pillows were covered in blood. There was blood on the floor. There was blood spray on the headboard. It was dry. All the blood was dry. Elena had been dead for a few days. Police determined the murder had taken place sometime late Monday night or in the wee hours of Tuesday morning. Again from McDonald's book, quote, The blood was from Elena's head. She only bled from the head. She was hit in the head approximately 20 times with the blunt and claw ends of a wooden-handled hammer. She was tied with black nylons around the wrists and ankles and around the neck. As well, there was this ligature, but there were no signs of strangulation. The nylon around the neck was more of an aesthetic for the killer, something he wanted to see. Oh, gross. The pattern of blood staining indicated that the initial attack had taken place in Elena's bedroom and she had later been dragged to the bathroom. The defensive wounds on the back of her arms and hands indicated that she had tried to ward off the relentless assault. It's believed that Miss Chudakova's killer spent time with Elena after submerging her in the tub when she was still alive. She had aspirated water. 
the medical examiner determined that either drowning or the blunt force injuries that had shattered the young woman's skull and ruptured one of her eyes could have caused her death. Author Bruce McDonald surmised in his book that Elena's killer might have watched the bubbles in the tub from Elena's last breaths as she expired. So he was torturing her and enjoying it, sounds like. It sounds like this person was very, very angry with her. Yeah. The murder weapon, the hammer that the killer had used, was there in the tub with Elena's body, along with a plastic sex toy, a hairbrush, and an empty bottle of pine sol detergent that the killer had inexplicably to clean up a bit, albeit poorly. He had only cleaned up the hallway between the bedroom and the bathroom. So the bedroom was still a disaster area and the bathroom was still. Yeah, but was... he had cleaned up where he had dragged her. That's so weird. It is very strange. Elena Chudakova had grown up in the town of Kaluga in Russia. Her mother was Jewish, making Elena Jewish as well. According to the city's Wikipedia page, Kaluga is the city and the administrative center of Kaluga Oblast, Russia, located on the Oka River, 150 kilometers southwest of Moscow. The population is around 324,000, according to a 2010 census. Kaluga is known for its most famous resident, Konstantin Silokovsky, Silkovsky, a rocket science pioneer who had worked there as a school teacher. The Tsiolkovsky State Museum of the History of Cosmonautics in Kaluga is dedicated to his theoretical achievements and their practical implementations for modern space research. Hence, the motto on the city's coat of arms is the cradle of space exploration. Cool, cosmonauts. Yeah, that's one of my favorite words, cosmonaut. It is a good one. I was a bit of a cosmonaut back in the day. <laughs> Elena had moved to Canada on Valentine's Day in 1992. She was met at Toronto's Pearson International Airport by her first cousin Igor Shore, also a Russian immigrant. He had arrived in Canada two years before she did. He'd been sending letters to Elena, enticing her to come to Canada. He was in love with her. In June of that year, they married, but separated less than three months later after Igor became jealous of attention that Elena was receiving. They remained friends, but never officially divorced. Elena was a green-eyed, brown-haired beauty. She stood 5 foot 4 inches tall and weighed around 120 pounds. She had a sparkling smile and a personality to match. She was someone who many men found attractive. She always seemed to have at least one man pursuing her. The fact that Elena was a little naive was also attractive to a certain type of guy. It was in summer that she began her relationship with Edgar Cavi, another Russian-Canadian. Ed's mum knew some of the members of Elena's family from the old country. As Elena and Ed fell in love, Elena was accepted into and started attending the interior design program at Ryerson University. Ed and Elena moved into a basement apartment and lived together for the next year and a half. Elena worked to help put herself through school, at first at a local donut shop. Ed was not working much at the time. The couple fought a lot about money, and Ed was jealous of Elena's attention to and from other men, even if innocent. As she and Ed were on the verge of breaking up, in the summer of 1994, Elena needed more money, so she began looking for a better-paying gig, finding a part-time job at a local bar called The Colored Stone, which was at 205 Richmond Street West in Toronto's Club District. 
Gilbert Ho was the manager of the bar. It quickly became obvious to the bar's owner, Ronald LeBlanc, that Gilbert was falling hard for the pretty young waitress. Gilbert became obsessed to the point where LeBlanc noticed that Gilbert was paying less attention to his work than he was to Elena. 32-year-old Gilbert was married and had two young children at home, but he was smitten. From court documents, quote, Gilbert went to Lake Placid with Elena for a romantic weekend in June of 1994. In the same month, drove her to Hull, Quebec so that she could make arrangements to get a passport. The Hull trip resulted in both of them being fired since they missed work for two days. Oops. End quote. Yeah. Good time's over. Whoops. Elena and Ed broke up, and Elena needed a place. On July 28, 1994, after Gilbert and Elena were fired, they rented the one-bedroom apartment at 50 Cambridge Avenue, signing the lease as co-tenants from August 1st, 94, to July 31st, 95, so a year lease. The apartment was to be Elena's home. Gilbert continued living with his wife and kids while assuming responsibility for paying Elena's rent of $678 monthly. Gilbert lied about his employment and financial situation to the rental agency so he could get the apartment for Elena. Gilbert claimed he was making $75,000 annually and that Elena was making an annual salary of $22,000. As a matter of fact, he was receiving employment insurance benefits that were just about to run out and social assistance was going to be next. Gilbert used his meager savings to put together the cash for the first and last month's rent for Elena's apartment and to support her financially. Gilbert also provided post-dated checks for the months of September, October, November, and December of 1994. From court documents, in addition to renting the apartment for her, he used his savings of $3,000 to $4,000 to buy her a bedroom set, a television, a VCR, a stereo, and a microwave. In total, he spent about $5,000 for her benefit, including giving her money for a trip to Portland, Oregon to visit her grandmother, end quote. Gilbert later said that he would have done anything for Elena. That is so stressful, all that money and you have none? Horrible. Plus all the lies. Oh my God. At the same time as Elena was breaking up with Ed, moving into the apartment rented by Gilbert Ho with her dog, a small black cocker spaniel she named Chuck, she'd also become involved with another man, a stockbroker named William Sergatus. The relationship with William was passionate and moved fast. He and Elena became engaged in the fall of 1994. Gilbert Ho was still around, spending time with Elena, but William said he thought that the relationship between Elena and Gilbert was merely a platonic one. It was not. William later said that Gilbert Ho appeared to be very possessive of Elena. This is a nightmare. No one knew that Elena's relationship with Gilbert Ho was a sexual one. But Gilbert knew about Elena's sexual involvement with other men. And that she was continuing her relationship with Edgar Cavi. Gilbert said he was in love and wanted to marry Elena, but Elena told Gilbert she was unwilling to commit to him and wanted to keep their relationship more, quote, recreational. From court documents, quote, Mr. Sergatis described his own relationship with Elena Chudakova as increasingly volatile. Their engagement was terminated in December of 1994 after a serious argument. William Sargatis tried to kick down Elena Chudakova's apartment door, 
eventually using a sledgehammer to recover the engagement ring that he had given her. Once inside, he threatened her with a pair of garden shears, pulled her hair, and demanded the return of the ring. She received a cut on her right breast as the result of the assault. Elena Chudakova was very upset after this incident and changed her phone number, end quote. That is intense. Shows up with a sledgehammer? Oh my God. Bashes dear. the door down and comes in with garden shears. Yeah. Saying, give me that ring. Here's the ring. Go. And you can imagine what he was saying with the garden shears. Like, oh. get it off your finger. I'm going to cut it off. A nightmare. Yeah. Oh my God. The post dated checks that Gilbert had provided upon rental of the apartment for Elena came back NSF. Gilbert Ho didn't have the cash to cover the rental, and now he was being called to task for it. Yeah. From court documents, in October 1994, the landlord started eviction proceedings for non-payment of rent. These were temporarily delayed as a result of Mr. Ho complaining of problems in the apartment. The eviction was reactivated in December. So I'm not paying rent because you guys aren't fixing certain things. So it was just, he was doing that to buy time. Yeah, just putting it off. You're not making $75,000 a year on employment insurance. Uh, know that for sure. Yeah, especially in 1994. No. It, was, it was much less than it is now. Mm-hmm. So Ellen needed to get away for a bit. So a female friend of hers from school invited her to come over and stay with her for Christmas. As Gilbert couldn't do it, Edgar Cavi stayed in the apartment with Elena's dog while she was away. Ed and Elena had been seeing each other off and on again. They couldn't seem to stay away from each other. When Elena came home just after the new year in 1995, she and Ed spent some time together trying to rekindle their relationship. They slept together for the last time on Friday, January 6, 1995. Two days after that, they decided their relationship was irretrievably broken and decided to call it quits. They had their last telephone conversation at 2 a.m. that morning. In the meantime, Gilbert had been made aware that he and Elena were to be evicted midday on January 10, 1995, from court documents. On Monday morning, January 9, 1995, Mr. Ho called the landlord hoping to delay the eviction. The landlord's agent advised him that when the sheriff came, Mr. Ho would be allowed to gather some possessions and then the door would be locked. When the sheriff did not arrive at noon that day, Mr. Ho thought the eviction might take place the next day. Gilbert claimed he went to the apartment to spend the day with Elena so he could help her with a project for school and fill out documents she needed to divorce Igor Shore, who had since moved to Calgary. If Elena were divorced, she would have more access to student loans. In Gilbert's mind, this would also free her to marry him as he so badly wanted. Elena called Igor at around 6.45 p.m. to explain her need for a divorce. Their conversation was amicable, and Igor later said she seemed calm and unconcerned. Gilbert and Elena ate dinner after the phone call to Igor. According to Gilbert, after dinner, they returned to working on Elena's project and the divorce papers until around 12.15 a.m. Elena took a shower as Gilbert took Chuck for a walk. The events of that night, according to Gilbert Ho, come from court documents. Quote, Mr. Ho claimed that when he returned to the apartment 15 minutes later, Miss Chudakova was in bed. He undressed and joined her in bed. Miss Chudakova told him she did not wish to have intercourse. They gave each other a massage for almost an hour. At about 1.30 a.m., Miss Chudakova suddenly asked Mr. Ho what time it was, told him he had to go, and rushed him out of the apartment. 
Mr. Ho assumed she was expecting Mr. Garcavi, so he left immediately. Even though he did not ejaculate, he told police he was not frustrated by the abruptness with which the sexual activity was terminated by Elena Chudakova. End quote. Gilbert Ho then claimed that Elena was very much alive when he left and took the last subway home around 2 a.m. that evening. And we will take a break right here. Okay. And we're back. So what do you think so far, Carol? That last uh, section there of Gilbert's comments, not believing. Yeah, but there's also the guy who broke into the apartment with a sledgehammer and garden shears the month before. I know, but that was a month before. Right, and then there's there's Ed, who she's just broken up with. Yeah, but it seems like Ed and... Yeah, I don't know. It's a tangled web. It really is. The next day at 10.14 a.m. on Tuesday, January 10th, 1995, Gilbert Ho called and left a voicemail for Elena as she didn't pick up. According to court documents, this is what he said. Hey, princess. Good morning. Uh, Okay, um... Divorce stuff is all done, waiting for Federal Express. I've got a copy of it all ready for you and a copy of the certificate, so not to worry there. Okay, I hope you got the rent money, by the way, because otherwise we're going to get evicted. Or you will. I would. I don't. And he laughs. And now uh, the uh, labels. Okay, I don't have any clear labels with me, so if you need to get it by today, let me know and I'll go out and buy some. Otherwise, we can photocopy it into uh, clear stuff like you said, at the place, and then uh, I won't need to buy any. I'll just... So he's talking about just regular things. Yeah, just a bunch of errands, it sounds like, that need to be done. Yep, and then he goes on to say, uh, you know, he's going to pick her up some Coke because she likes Coca-Cola, and then he says, bye, sweetie, talk to you later, see ya. Gilbert showed up with groceries that same day at about 2.30 p.m., and he hung around the rental office waiting for Elena as she was not answering Gilbert's repeated attempts at calling her through the building's intercom. Gilbert spent almost two and a half hours regaling the rental manager, Mr. Vieira, with intimate details of Elena's, quote, sexual practices and his frustration with the relationship. As the office was closing at 5 p.m. and Elena still seemed to be out, Vieira offered to keep Gilbert's groceries in the office's small refrigerator until Gilbert or Elena picked them up the next day. Gilbert left as the office closed. And what was odd about that is that Gilbert typically would just hang around in the lobby. He wouldn't hang around in the rental office. Mm -hmm. Also, what's odd is he's talking about his girlfriend's sexual behaviors. That's right. See, I would be the worst cop or the best cop. I don't know. From court documents, Gilbert Ho and Edward Garcavi went to Elena's apartment together on Wednesday, January 11th. They looked through the mail slot and saw the dog and an open balcony door, but Ed said that they did not try to open the door because they knew that Elena did not like to be surprised. Ed then called the school that Elena attended and was told mistakenly that she and a colleague were talking to a teacher. As a result of that information, Ed and Gilbert stopped the search for that day. So Ed just thought maybe she's at school, maybe she's just taking a break from all of us for the time being. Could be. Her life's very stressful. But it's interesting. Gilbert and Ed are friends. They know about each other. I guess Ed didn't know that Gilbert was having a sexual relationship with Elena, but it's it's very interesting. They all just know each other. On January 12th, it was Ed Garcavi who had initiated the search for Elena Chudakova. 
Ed called a mutual friend, Mark Millman, who also expressed he had not heard from Elena and spoke to Gilbert Ho about her earlier in the week. Mark then called Gilbert, who agreed to meet him at 50 Cambridge Avenue so he could gain access to Elena's apartment with Gilbert, the co-lessee. That's when they found poor Elena's body and called the police. The fact that Elena had so many close male acquaintances in her life made for a complex investigation. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Oh, how to sort it all out. There were some fingerprints at the scene belonging to Elena and Gilbert, including in the bathroom on the hot water tap. Gilbert's prints were also on a hacksaw handle in the toolbox that was found on Elena's balcony. It was assumed that her killer had retrieved the hammer from that toolbox. Gilbert did not deny having been there on the evening of January 9th and many times before, it would follow that his fingerprints were in the apartment. So it wasn't unusual for him to be there and to be touching stuff. No. He was the co-lessee, so he may have even used things in the toolbox to fix something around the place. Yeah, so. trying to be helpful. Mm-hmm. An autopsy examination of Elena's stomach contents indicated that she most likely had eaten her final meal between 8 and 9 p.m., and her estimated time of death was between one and two hours afterward, which did not add up especially with the timeline that Gilbert Ho was providing to police in his subsequent statements, where he told them that he left after 1.30 a.m. that night to catch the last subway at 2. So here's the problem with that. This last meal determination is not an exact science. Mm -hmm. So some experts might disagree with the timeline. Okay. There was also semen inside Elena's body. A DNA profile indicated that it belonged to Edgar Cavi, but experts could not pinpoint the exact time it had been deposited there. One forensic expert, Dr. Chiasan, said, quote, Semen can remain in the body cavity for up to a week. It was his view that since cold temperatures could slow the course of semen decomposition, Edgar Cavi's semen could have stayed in Elena Chudakova's body since January 6th because her body had been in cold water for days. Oh, like it preserves it. Mm-hmm. Okay. There were other pieces of evidence indicating that Elena's killer was someone she knew. There was no sign of forced entry into her apartment or that anything in the apartment had been taken or disturbed other than evidence that efforts had been made to clean up the blood in the hallway connecting to the bedroom and the bathroom. Whoever killed Elena Chudakova was sufficiently familiar with the apartment to know where the hammer, her sex toy, and her nylons were kept. Police looked at William Sargatis hard as a suspect in Elena's murder. It was William, after all, who had broken into Elena's apartment with the sledgehammer and garden shears only a month before her murder, demanding his ring back. Jealousy was not his only motive, either. The assault charges that Elena had brought against him also jeopardized his bid for a lucrative working visa into the United States. Elena had also expressed her fears of William's violence to a classmate at Ryerson only days before she died. The problem with the William Sargatis theory is that he was out with a friend watching a movie, Pulp Fiction, until around 1.30 a.m. on the night that Elena was killed, which was outside the possible time of death as given by the one pathologist. Okay. Edgar Cavi also said that he'd been at home watching a movie he had rented. Maverick, starring Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster. He'd fallen asleep after and was awakened by the owner of the home, a friend of his named Andrea, as she returned home from working the night shift. There was a piece of evidence that investigators believed might help to identify Elena's killer. 
She had a bite mark on her left breast that appeared to have been made around the same time of the blunt force injuries to her head. Three different forensic experts concluded that the amount of force required to leave such a mark on the victim would have been significant and extreme. It had not been gentle. Dental impressions were made of the main suspects in the case, Ed William and Gilbert Hull. Upon comparison with the marks on Elena's breast, the best match was Gilbert Hull. Hmm. In a later police interview, Gilbert Hull was asked whether he had bitten Elena while they were massaging each other on the evening of January 9th. Gilbert claimed that he had never left any marks on Elena's body during sex and denied biting Elena that night. Here's Gilbert's response from court documents as recorded that day. Answer. Uh, no, I, I've never, uh, I don't leave marks on her body or nothing, but uh, she's never told me that I left any marks and I never bite hard enough to leave marks. No? No, she's scratched me a couple of times, but yeah, did you bite her that night hard? No. You were gentle with her that night? Gilbert nodded yes. Why doesn't he just say no? No, that I didn't bite her and then end. Instead, he's like, um, no, not gentle. Yes, gentle. Um, I don't know. It's frustrating. Based on the bite mark evidence and Gilbert Ho's own admissions of not having left the crime scene until after 1.30 a.m., he became suspect number one with exclusive access to Elena during the supposed time of her death. Police arrested Gilbert and charged him with murder. From court documents, quote, by his own admission, Mr. Ho was alone with Ms. Chudakova on Monday, January 9, 1995, from at least 6.30 p.m. until 1.30 a.m., there was no evidence that anyone saw or spoke to Elena Chudakova after that night. End quote. Gilbert, of course, as these guys always do, pled not guilty, and he was held for trial. Okay. The Crown posited that Gilbert's obsession with Elena Chudakova and desire to possess her had led to her death on January 9, 1995. Realizing that he could not have her, Gilbert flew into a rage for several reasons that had built up over time. Court documents indicate a few of the reasons that Gilbert Ho could have killed Elena. Quote, he wanted to marry her, but knew she continued to see Mr. Garcavi and others, and was not interested in the commitment from Gilbert Ho. She was about to be evicted from the apartment he had rented for, and therefore his financial usefulness was about to end. And he was angry and frustrated that his sexual activity with her on the night of January 9, 1995 was abruptly interrupted so that she could see Mr. Garcavi. End quote. The Crown pointed to Gilbert's flippant, nonchalant attitude on the multiple voicemails that he'd left for Elena after the crime as a means of covering up his guilt. At trial, in his own defense, Gilbert backpedaled on his statement that he didn't bite Elena during intercourse. To explain the bite mark away, he was now claiming that he had, and it had been done as part of, quote, consensual sexual behavior. The defense attempted to poke holes in the alibis of Edgar Cavi and William Sargatis. After a five-week trial, the case went to the jury. The old consensual situation. Kind of fall back on that. After 17 hours of deliberation, the jury came back with a verdict, finding Gilbert Ho guilty of first-degree murder in the death of Elena Chudakova. Gilbert seemed unmoved as the verdict was read, and the sentence was handed down. Life without the possibility of parole for 25 years. On Saturday, June 22, 1996, the Toronto Sun ran a story on Gilbert's conviction for murdering Elena. It read in part, quote, 
It was a case of fatal attraction, said homicide detective Sergeant Mike Hamill. If he couldn't have her, nobody else would. We suspected him from day one. If you look at a profile of these killers, he was the perfect suspect. Igor Shore, husband of the slain student, said, quote, Ho should stay in jail for the rest of his life because it's the only place he's going to be safe. I'm not going to forgive him for this. She was killed not in a human way. It was an animal way. Now he is in jail like an animal. I cannot say it's good news, he added, but it's something I can say to Elena's mother because she feared he'd get away with it, end quote. Gilbert Ho's appeal was dismissed in 1999. In December of 2000, Gilbert Ho wrote a letter appealing for assistance from the Association in Defense of the Wrongly Convicted, or AIDWYC, which is now known as Innocence Canada, and you can find more about them at innocencecanada.ca. According to Wikipedia, Innocence Canada is, quote, a Canadian nonprofit legal organization based in Toronto, Innocence Canada identifies advocates for and helps exonerate individuals have, who have been convicted of a serious crime which they did not commit and preventing future wrongful convictions through education and justice system reform. Innocence Canada has been involved in high-profile exonerations, including those of David Milgard, Guy Paul Moran, and Stephen Truscott, cases we have yet to cover on this show, but we're going to get to them. It's unknown whether they took on this case, but Gilbert was still in prison as of 2017. The last article I could find about Gilbert Ho and Elena Chudakova was in the Toronto Star on Sunday, November 5th, 2017. It was written by staff reporter Alex McKean and is titled, Can a Theatre Program Help Rehabilitate Ontario Prisoners? In it are photos of prisoners in a play, from the gymnasium turned theater at Beaver Creek Minimum Institution, one of whom is Gilbert Ho. The program is called On Track and it's spelled O-N-T-R-A-C. An arts program for prisoners with the hope of assisting them in their bid to reintegrate into society at some point. The article quotes Gilbert Ho. It reads, Gilbert Ho said On Track helped him deal with the quote stigma associated with being in prison. He was sentenced to life for first-degree murder in the 1995 killing of 23-year-old Elena Chudakova. Theater, Ho said, requires structure, discipline, and empathy. This is a good way to kind of bring us back to a childhood state and build us back up again and teach us this is how you interact with people, he said. I've got good support out there and I'm grateful for my family, the father of two said. Some people, they don't have the support out there. So when an institution recognizes that they need to do that, that's a huge step, end quote. So Gilbert feels he's stigmatized by being in jail. If he's guilty of murdering Elena Chudakova, that's probably the last thing that he should be worrying about. Yeah. Yeah, trying to keep his uh, persona kind of not um, affected by what's happened. The Innocence Project doesn't seem to have picked up his case. As Elena's murder has not been covered heavily in the press, her family still mostly resides in Russia and privacy laws in Canada are so tight it's unclear what Gilbert Ho's current status is. However, he might be eligible for parole soon if he isn't already because it's been 25 years. So here's the thing. Bite mark evidence is now, as we've learned in a few different documentaries and some things that I've read, 
it isn't the strongest thing. No, it was in one particular case, but now it seems like it's not exactly as accurate as they had thought. Mm-hmm. So it was Ted Bundy was yeah. the, was the mm-hmm. first person to really have the bite mark evidence tested in a in a legal way. But the Ted Bundy case is the highest profile case to have had the bite mark evidence tested and affirmed. And I thought it was pretty accurate, but that's not necessarily no, true. No, so these experts... Uh, other forensic experts are now saying that it doesn't make sense. Even the guys who were involved in the science themselves say they feel, some of them now feel it's inaccurate. There is no actual physical evidence that says that Gilbert Ho murdered Elena Chudakova. There is none yeah. other than that bite mark. The and bite mark is this bad it. feeling I have about Gilbert. <laughs> and the bad feeling that That Carol doesn't has. mean anything. It means nothing. No. I guess the court saw fit to throw out his appeal in 1999, but at the same time, did this guy kill Elena or were there other people? I mean, there were even other friends, male friends, who I didn't mention in this episode that she was interacting with on the phone in the days leading up to her death. It could have been someone who else was jealous. Mm -hmm. And Gilbert's defense team has even said, maybe it's an unknown person. Maybe it's a serial killer who came into the house and, and murdered her. Maybe maybe she knew the serial killer. It could be any number of things. So because you try to explain away, there was no forced entry into the apartment. So maybe it was that. I don't know. It's a very, very confusing case. It is. What do you think? I still think Gilbert did it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't like how he treated his wife and family. Mm-hmm. So in all this, just kind of dismissed them. And then Elena too. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter what I feel. But I just think. Yeah, because, uh, yeah. And that's that's the whole point of this true crime business is people yeah. people think. I know. I, I know this like person I did know it. For sure, without a shadow of doubt. Well, there's actually a lot of shadows and a lot of doubt, but still. Yeah. But here's the thing. The jury didn't find that there was any doubt. So that's what's important is how the legal stuff shakes out. Yeah. Legally, but factually, who done it? I, I lean to Gilbert, too. But. I feel like it's Gilbert. He really went out on a limb for her. Mm-hmm. And he had so much to lose. He was losing it. Yeah. And the anger that the attack came with, although there were other people who were angry at her or could have potentially been very angry at her at that exact moment. Yeah. At her that point in time. fiance with the permit that could have been denied, that would have. Mm-hmm. That once money's involved too like that. And even Ed admitted that their relationship was volatile. So I don't get a bad feeling about Edgar Cavi at all. I think Ed actually loved Elena. They were actually in love and they just couldn't, couldn't make it work. Yeah. So rough. It's terrible to try to sort this out. Plus her family's not even in the country. No. Then they're not here to defend her at parole hearings or anything like that. So. Yeah. It's potential that, that uh, Gilbert's going to get out at some point. If he's not already, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. So that's it for this week's case. That was intense. Poor Elena. Right. I hope Chuck was okay. Seemed like someone's taking care of Chuck. And th- and that was interesting too. It's like somebody cared enough maybe to leave the leave the balcony door open so Chuck could go out onto the balcony and do his business. Yeah. So it was somebody who cared about the dog. Yeah. I just felt a whole bunch of weird, different weird things about this one. Very, very interesting. 
All right, I guess it is time for us to move on to voicemails. And if you voicemail, want, voicemail, excellent. If you want to leave us one, you can do so at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. And let's see who called us this week. If anybody, did anybody call us? Maybe they just called and hung up. Maybe people just called us and hung up. I think they did. It's a crank call. No, I don't think there were crank calls. But uh, who crank called Dark Poutine? Yeah, why would you crank call dark poutine? Here's one. <laughs> well, there's lots of reasons. <laughs> okay, it looks like we might have to go back into the vaults this week. In the way back machine. We're going in the way back machine. We're going in the past. We're going into the past. Let's see. Hi, guys. Um, okay, so first of all, I recorded this message a few times and kept messing up what I wanted to say and re-recording it. And then when I finally had one that I was like, okay, this one, I didn't mess up anything. It cut me off saying it was too long. So that's where we're at. So you know what? This is it. This is the final one. <laughs> Hopefully I can say everything I need to say really fast. Um, my name is Heather. I'm from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, I'm going to make this really fast. So sorry if I talk fast. Um, thank you. Thank you for everything you guys have done. Thank you for doing this podcast and continuing it through these hard times. It's meant a lot to me to have some normalcy in my life of listening to you guys, as I'm sure it has others. Um, I started listening to your podcast about two years ago um, when I was driving across Canada and back. There was very sketchy or limited or zero um, radio and cell phone signal across a lot of the Trans-Canada Highway and specifically in the Canadian Shield over in Northern Ontario and such. Um, so I absolutely, you guys got me through that whole trip and it was awesome. Um, you also got me through really long work commutes, um, back and forth, just and stop and go traffic in the early morning hours when I really needed a little pick me up. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much. And, um, I also want to thank you guys for having a really like straightforward podcast um, you do have some banter, of course, and we really enjoy that um, as listeners, but it's nice that you kind of focus mainly on the story and there isn't like one billion million ads and there isn't like so much banter between you guys that we can't even focus on the story. I really like that it's it's really focused on the story. Um, and just thank you for being you. And like, I super appreciate hearing your guys' voice. It always brings me to like a place that I recognize and something comfortable which is really important right now especially with the current times so thank you and I hope you guys have a lovely holiday and yeah just all the best wishes to you moving forward and I'm super excited to continue to listen to your podcast thanks so much guys bye wow that was nice so nice very nice oh you're welcome yeah thanks for leaving that nice message thank you for your voicemails thanks you guys (laughs) please don't forget you can call us one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. We really do want to hear from you. Please, somebody call. Call us. Call, call us. me. Call me. I'm so desperate to hear some voices. It's the end of January. It's, oh. it's the end of January, and we well, it it's the first of February. Oh, it we, is. 
We need to hear some voices. Please, are you out there? Are you out I there? I don't know what day it is anymore. Is there anybody out am there? Am I supposed to be on the couch or am I supposed to be down in the basement? I don't know. I can't tell anymore. No, I, I just get lost as far as days go. <laughs> I forget the days. You forget the days? I forget the days. What day is it, Carol? What days. day? Days. Days. What day? All right. So, it is time for Patreon. Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. Patreon, what? Yep, exactly. I'm ready. So first up, from Mustang, Oklahoma. Mustang? Mustang. We have Michelle Chamberlain. Michelle Chamberlain. Thanks, Michelle. Michelle? And what does Michelle Chamberlain do in Mustang, Oklahoma? She's a food scientist. Okay, what kind of food science? Is she like Chevy Chase and uh, Exactly. That is her mentor. That's who she that's how why she got into this all Clark Griswold. Exactly. Because he made some shellac. Food preservatives. And shellacs that uh made the cereal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cereal tastes better and lasts longer. So what does she do exactly? She does the exact actual, same thing. The exact well, yeah. Okay. For cereal. For cereal. What does, has she done like Captain Crunch? Because that would be kind of cool. Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops. Well, there you go. I know. So she made the preservative. For the Fruit preservative. Loops. She didn't invent Fruit Loops, but she made the preservative to enhance the color, flavor, and last makes the cereal last longer. Fruit Loops also shelf. makes something else colorful, but I'm not going <laughs> to say what that is. She has part of that too. That's like her secret thing. Oh, they- she's just like, and how does it look? After. After. Mm. Mm. That's her secret side thing. Oh, good Lord. Sorry, I added you on that one. But thank you for your food science service. There you go. The best. Uh, next, <laughs> next, we have Patrick LaRoche. And Patrick is from Quebec City. Oh, Patrick. In, this, in the province of Quebec. Nice. So thank you, Patrick. Uh, hopefully he is not too... Uh, Upset with our pronunciation of poutine because I do tend to pronounce it very anglicized. Mm -hmm. So what does Patrick LaRoche do in Quebec? He is a Lego master builder. Oh my goodness. What a fun job. It's the best job really other than food science, but Mm -hmm. he, um, he makes huge creations from Lego. Like what? Monsters. He makes monsters, like Lego monsters? Mm -hmm. And then also, he does some landscaping, too. He makes actual Lego walls. Oh. Yeah. Actual Lego walls. Yeah. Some people, that's their aesthetic. It's Lego aesthetic, and they want their whole backyards done in Legos. So he makes the fences and walls and even little pools and stuff. I heard that they wanted to build a Lego wall along the southern border. With Mexico and the United States, but That's it would have nice. taken too long. So did would would Patrick do something like that? Build like a really high wall? Yeah. Like that The bigger one? the better. He loves it. Lego Castle is his dream. Oh, has he done anything like uh, Lego full-size Millennium Falcon or, or yeah. any other? Oh, well, he has. Totally. Oh. He is. is he's a master Lego is his, builder. Is he's his done whole it all. house Lego? His whole house. He even invented a Lego toilet and Whoa. Lego shower. But the plumbing is regular. He doesn't go into the plumbing part, but it's all the outside. Well, there you go. I know. Master Lego Builder. Well, thank you, Patrick. Patrick. Master Lego Builder from 
Quebec City in Quebec. I aspire to make Lego walls like you, good sir. Yeah, I'm. I don't because I've got. I'm busy doing a podcast and <laughs> trying to write a book. <laughs> that's yeah. That's a different uh, kind of building right there. Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, next up, we have from Olympia, Washington, Sally West. Did she go to school in Olympia? She might have. Yep, just like the... Do you uh, know Courtney Love? I hope that she doesn't. I hope Courtney Love was nice to her. Well, Maybe she knows Francis Bean. Our friend Alan R. Warren knows Courtney Love, so... <gasps> yeah. He used to serve her at a coffee shop or something that he worked at, so... Cool. Yeah. And we saw Courtney Love punch Marilyn Manson in the head. We did. <laughs> that was classic. <laughs> and Carol told Courtney Love what time it was. It after, was. After Kurt Cobain died. We went and visited... The park. We could hear her yeah. yelling. And she says, what fucking time is it? <laughs> and, and I yelled out the time. But for some reason, I don't remember what time right now was. It was 2 p.m. It was 2 p.m.? Yeah. 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 Oh, Miss Kurt man. Cobain. Yeah. But anyway, what does Sally West do in Olympia, Washington? She's a zookeeper. Oh, I didn't know there was a zoo in Olympia. <laughs> it's a private zoo. <laughs> oh. What uh, happened? Just keep going. Oh, don't okay. you don't you don't comment on that stuff. <laughs> it's a private zoo, and she takes care of the elephants, especially the baby elephants. Oh, she takes care of baby elephants. Yes. And well, how do you take care of baby elephants? Do you just have to find really big diapers for baby <laughs> elephants? No, they all they want is baths and to eat peanuts all day long. Oh, I I have never gotten the chance to do it, but I really really want to. Uh, I want to give. Uh, an elephant peanuts from my hand and have them take it with their little with their little trunk. Their trunk. I yeah. want that to happen so much. I don't know if somebody can make that happen for me. That would be amazing. Yeah, maybe someone at the Calgary Zoo. But you know what? There are zoo. I know. I was playing Animal Crossing with someone who is, does work at the Calgary Zoo. What? I know. So Carol. So we need to check. I don't know. Are peanuts healthy for elephants? We have a lot of elephant research to do. I'm pretty sure they are because. Um, you see the, like them being fed. It's okay. Oh, oh no, maybe I'm wrong. I know. See, now I'm doubting everything. Maybe I'm wrong. This That's could okay. Be, this could we'll be terrible. We'll ask the zookeeper in Oregon if it's okay. This could be terrible. I know. I don't want to be one of those things. Like you don't feed a horse a whole apple. You have to chop it up. Yeah. Cause they could swallow an apple whole and then choke. Yeah, you don't want your horse to choke. No. And then they'll poop out a whole apple, too. I don't think that's how like it a, works. So that's how you can make a horse cannon, is just give them whole apples. Oh, Peter's not going to be then, happy with us. Then, <laughs> no. So it's like a tennis ball gun, except with a horse's ass. <laughs> Speaking of horse's ass, I think I am. I think, it. yes. Oh, my. Well, there you go. So that's it for Patreon. Let's move on to donut money. We had some people give us some love donut wise. This, A big donut love. Yeah. But uh, first up we have Tara Becker. And Tara says, you both make me laugh so much. I'm from Los Angeles and have thankfully never met Borat. <laughs> Aw, I would love to meet Borat. She says, I love baking and I'm starting to experiment with gluten-free and sugar-free recipes. So spot on. In my 29 years, I've had some eclectic jobs. I spent eight years managing adult stores, a year as a trained wizard at the Wizarding <gasps> World of Harry Potter, and currently help manage 
multiple storage facilities. No bodies yet, thank goodness. Love to you both. Uh, sent by Tara Becker. Tara? So thank you, Tara from Los Angeles. We know you've had some weird jobs um, and managing multiple storage facilities. What's another weird job that Tara has had, Carol? Brewmaster. A brewmaster? Yeah, she makes beers. Makes beers. Yes, exactly. For She's all the groovy hipsters drinking, in LA. Drinking beers at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. That maybe that's that's, butter beer. Yeah, that's right. All right. Yeah. So, Tara, I'm with you with the weird jobs. I've had lots of jobs. Well, I haven't had any weird jobs. Mike's had more weird jobs, but yeah. Yeah, I am a weird job guy. Oh, well. Um, also, manage storage lockers. I used to watch Storage Wars. I could not stop. Yeah, you love that show. I don't know why, because it's just like, what's in the locker? A bunch of junk. But then someone would find like a Picasso in there, or like rolls and rolls of cash, or... um. A Picasso. That one guy found a Picasso in amongst all this junk. I don't think anybody could sort through my junk and find <laughs> a Picasso Not in there. Not that junk? No. Oh. Different junk. <laughs> junk in a storage locker junk. Oh, well, there may be junk in a storage locker. You never know. Yeah. Or they would open up the locker and there'd be nothing in there except for one little plastic bag. I always think about uh, Walt from... Uh, Breaking Bad oh, yeah, and that... his billion dollars in the storage locker. <laughs> Just covered in a blue tarp. Yeah. No, here's all your money. <laughs> and his like, wife's saying, there's no way to spend all this money. And he's just like, I don't care. I'm going to make more. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. because now it's a now it's a game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not because you need it like he used to in the beginning. Right, exactly. Yeah, we just spoiled Breaking Bad for everybody. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Don't give a shit. If you haven't watched it yet, that's your problem. (laughs) We've watched it through like five times. I love it. Still watch it. It's still good, even though you know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. It's really good. Um, So, Tara, thank you. Yes. Keep those storage wars going. Exactly. And uh, next up, we have our friend Sally Norris with a large donation saying... To Mike and Carol, with many thanks, as always, Sally N, Canadian flag, maple leaf, UK flag, upside down happy face, and two donuts. Oh, Sally, we're going to be eating donuts for weeks. Well, Sally must have a lot of different jobs to keep us in donut money. So what is the other thing that I think Sally does, that you think Sally does? Because she's got to be doing something with her time. Dog walker. She's walking dogs. All day, every day, man. She is a power dog walker. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh a... she has insomnia, so she's able to like keep those uh just all those appointments open morning, noon, and night. Walking dogs. Also, she loves dogs. Who doesn't love dogs? Who doesn't love dogs? Well, people who are allergic to them maybe don't love them. Maybe they still love them just from a distance. Distantly. Didn't they get the, the labradoodles then? Yeah, true. Yeah. You can get the hypoallergenic ones. Yeah. Labradoodle or uh, the Bichon Freeze is also. Oh, fancy. They are a nice little dog. But Sally loves all dogs. She walks all dogs morning, noon, and night. I love all dogs, too. I like the way their little puppy bellies smell. Oh, just the top of their head. Mm, little dogs. Yeah, I like little <laughs> snorting. Exactly. Snorting dogs are the best. Exactly. Well, thank you all to our patrons and Donut Money donors past and present for your help to keep us doing what we do. If you want to donate to Dark Poutine, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash dark poutine. Or for a one-time donation, you can send us Donut Money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. 
If you don't already subscribe to the show, it mean a lot to us if you did. You can easily find us on any podcatcher, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever else you get your on-demand audio. Check out darkpatine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. I have to update it very badly. We're like 10 episodes behind. Whoa, But what? that's my fault. Please take the time to give Dark Patine a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Come on in and join the Umber Yard. We are always welcoming new folks. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Have a good evening, afternoon, morning, wherever you're listening. Exactly. Whatever day, time, place. Does it matter now? We don't know where we are. We don't even know where we are. (laughs) We We don't know, but wherever you are, be there. Okay. Whoa. Bye. Bye. Thank you.